0: Hey guys, Leah Pika here. Today's guest is the face of Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager today, and she's a shooting star on the analytics speaking circuit. Stay tuned to find out who's making a cameo on the Present Beyond Measure Show, Episode 9.
1: Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show. Where you'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating and delivering data visualizations and presentations that inspire data driven decisions, change hearts, and enlighten minds. If you're ready to get your insights noticed, remembered, and acted upon, you're in the right place. Now, your host, Leah Pika.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the ninth episode of Present Beyond Measure where analytics, data visualization, and presentation get together for a little party. Mm, Sorry, I just had Swedish House Mafia blaring in my car, and I'm a little over-jazzed at the moment, so pardon me. So before we jump in, I'd like to take a moment to read another lovely review for the show. Today's review comes from Master, cool name, and they say, Clarity, clarity, clarity. Let's be real in this review. Marketing is nebulous and difficult to measure and focuses on feelings instead of results. A senior VP told me this once, so it must be true. (laughs) Present Beyond Measure dives into the tools, applications, and wisdom to destroy Mr. Senior VP's argument. Building a case through data and clearly presenting those results has changed marketing for the better. This podcast and the host bring so much clarity to all aspects of marketing. It's a must-have for any practitioner. Thank you so much. That was such a lovely review. Um, so thanks to Stacks Master. And as a show of thanks, I'm going to be reading all my favorite reviews to show my appreciation. So if you'd like to leave a review and get a shout out on the show, please visit me in iTunes at Leapika.com slash PBM iTunes and click ratings and reviews. I really appreciate it. So I'm really excited about today's episode because it was my first in-person, on-location interview in, drumroll, Australia, sorry for my horrible pronunciation, I, uh, I had the privilege of presenting with Jim Stern, Tim Wilson, Simo Ahava, and so many other amazing analytics thought leaders at the Love's Data Analytics Conference in September. It was such an incredible experience, and if you want to check out the video recap of the event, just go to leahpika.com slash lovesdata. It was so awesome. And I got to interview one of the very esteemed speakers in person. So without further ado, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm recording straight from Melbourne, Australia at the Loves Data Analytics Conference. I'm so excited to bring you today's guest, who's my fellow speaker and possibly one of the most well-known rising stars in the measure community today. She is the analytics advocate for Google, where she's responsible for educating and advocating for digital analytics and optimization best practices, as well as running the GA Premium training program. She also co-chairs the San Francisco chapter of the Digital Analytics Association and mentors for the Analysis Exchange. You may know her as the face and voice of the insanely popular Google Analytics Academy course on Google Tag Manager, which I just took, and she travels all over the world speaking to analysts who want to make the most out of Google Analytics. Please help me welcome my great friend, Krista Seiden. Hi. Hi. Thank you for that really nice intro. I try, I try. Um, So, we are recording right outside the Love's Data Analytics Conference right now, so in case you hear any ambient noise, um, you know, please excuse, we're doing the best we can. So, Krista and I met at the Analytics Demystified Accelerate Conference a few years ago, but we were electronically introduced by Eric Feinberg from 4C, who was my guest on episode 007, and you know, Eric told me that you are a rising star in this industry with lots of new presenting duties. So I was mm-hmm. very interested to make your acquaintance. But I love to hear a good origin story. So tell us a little bit about how you fell into this whole analytics thing.
1: yeah, so, You know, it was kind of by accident, which you hear a lot in this industry. There's a lot of people who start out doing something completely different and find their way into analytics. And I'm one of those stories. So I actually graduated college and went straight into finance, which turned out to be terrible for me. Um, I was working on a trading desk at HSBC, but in San Francisco. And so that meant that I was at my desk at 5.30 in the morning, every morning, working New York hours. It Oof. was rough. <laughs> and then in 2008, I actually got laid off with the economy and the downfall, and it was a blessing in disguise. Um, it was really rough three months when I was applying to every job known to man. Um, but eventually, I got hired on at Adobe, and uh, that's where I started to do business analysis, business intelligence, and then eventually moved into marketing analytics um, once they acquired Omniture. Uh, So it was um, an amazing opportunity while I was there to learn the tool sets, learn the industry, had great mentors in the organization, started following people on Twitter and blogs outside of the organization, um, and did that for a few years internally at Adobe and had a lot of really great resources on hand there to learn from. And then I went from there to the Apollo Group, which is the parent company of the University of Phoenix, and I ran product analytics for their mobile app and for an internal social network. And that was a really cool experience because, especially with mobile, um, I was able to sit in on a lot of UX studies um, at a UX lab in Phoenix and actually watch students use new versions of our mobile app and see how they qualitatively were um, interacting with, with the app and with the with the data, and then pair that with the quantitative data I was seeing in Google Analytics, and really give me a better understanding for how, how the user experience went and how I could use data to inform that back to our product managers. Really cool experience. Uh, And then went from there to Google. Um, So my first two years at Google, I ran an analytics and optimization program internally for the Google for Work group, Um, built up an analytics practice and an optimization practice. And that was a lot of fun. And um, then that kind of landed me in my next role, my current role, um, as the analytics advocate for the Google Analytics team.
0: That's an amazing story, the idea that a company was dumb enough to let someone like you go is is fascinating (laughs) to me, but um, I too can totally relate about the accidentally falling into that, and I I think a lot of people do, and what I think is so interesting about this field is how left brain and right brain it is, and you get these really well-rounded people with all these different skill sets, but you still need a lot of help making the most of all that. So did you have to present a lot as an analyst in your early career, Um, like different findings and things like that? I did. Um,
1: Actually, even early on at Adobe, my very first role as a marketing analyst, I reported directly to a director um, who happened to be really oversubscribed in everything that he was doing, um, which worked out great for me because he ended up sending me to pretty much all of his meetings as the representative for the second largest business unit at Adobe um, at the time. Um, And I was in meetings with directors and senior directors and VPs, presenting on behalf of my business unit, so I had to very quickly um, learn to have a voice in a meeting, uh, and that was that really, really helped me kind of develop some of those early skills. Um, and then as I moved more into other roles and into more product analytics, uh, I developed a, a skill around telling a story with what was going on. So I, I told you about the user experience testing with the mobile app. And I really think that that um, was a a good grounding in kind of the entire user and customer experience um, and the need to kind of pull that together into a story that you then deliver back to your stakeholders to, to show them why it's so important that you do one thing with an app or you change one page on your website or a CTA or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to tell them about Um, that story and connection to the user's
0: experience is really, really important. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, you know, one thing I'm curious about is presenting isn't always something that comes naturally to people that fall in this industry. Um, Was that something that came naturally to you or was it more of a, an evolution and what was challenging about that? So
1: it was definitely an evolution. Um, I remember many of those early meetings when I had to speak to senior stakeholders um, and run meetings, my voice would quiver, especially depending on who was in the room. Um, You know, the more senior the audience I was talking to, the more nervous I would get, um... But over time, that kind of diminished when it was the smaller group settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, talking to large audiences is is tough. And it's definitely a skill set that you build up over time and you become much more comfortable with large audiences over time. Um, and to this day, I have to thank our our mutual friend, Jim Stern, uh, <laughs> for giving me my very first speaking opportunity in the analytics industry at a conference at eMetrics. Um, and uh, you can ask most of our mutual friends who were in the room at the time, <laughs> um, it didn't necessarily go so well. <laughs> no,
0: come on. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, the content was, was all right. Uh, the delivery needed a little more polishing. Um, I think it was a 45-minute session, and I might have let everybody out about 20 minutes early
0: because mm. I talked
1: so fast. <laughs> um, that was the biggest takeaway from from that one for me was that uh, I needed to slow down and kind of just uh, realize my own pace, and mm-hmm. that the audience uh, actually receives things, um, you know, much better than you realize when you talk slow. Mm-hmm. So for me, I always felt like when I was talking slow, I was talking down to an audience, but that's actually not how it comes across. Mm-hmm. That's totally in your own head. Um, so it's it's really just about kind of building that skill set and becoming comfortable with standing in
0: front of a large audience. Couldn't agree more. The first public speaking class I had was in high school and the very first thing we had to do was get up and speak and every single comment, feedback for every person was slow down. It's so important. Especially if you're from Jersey, it's like (laughs) part of our accent. (laughs) Speak three times as fast. Um, So do you still get nervous, even small or large? And, you know, if you do, how do you build your confidence before going in?
1: So I don't get too nervous anymore, um, but that has a lot to do with the fact that I I speak only on a few topics generally. Mm. Um, And these are topics that I I know very well um, and I'm very passionate about. So I speak a lot about Google Analytics and digital analytics and the industry. I speak a lot about testing and optimization and Google Tag Manager. And those three areas are very much in my wheelhouse. And I Mm -hmm. think that anybody who's doing a lot of public presenting Um, when you're doing it, if you don't know your content well and you're not passionate about it, you're not going to come off as authentic or as genuine as you really could or should. Um, So that's really been what's helped me um, kind of get over... Uh, the hurdles of being nervous is really knowing my content um, very, very well, and not just knowing it well, but also going in with my my own war stories. A lot of what I speak on um, comes from my own experience as a practitioner um, running programs with analytics and and optimization uh, and the ups and downs that I had over time and the lessons that I've learned from those experiences. So I think that really helps too.
0: I I think that's great. I mean, the best way to get an audience to relate is show them that you've been through all of the same ringers, you've made all of the same mistakes, and I think that's what makes you so accessible despite, you know, having such an illustrious background. (laughs) Now... I myself went through the Google Analytics Academy training, which is awesome. (laughs) And, you know, recently I heard your AMA call with Jim Stern, and I fell out of my chair when I heard how many people had signed up with that. So can you share what that number is?
1: Yeah, we had, um,
0: amazingly, we had 102,000 people register and and take the course. That's crazy. I mean, how do you feel having that much exposure to this audience? It's incredible. Um, I mean... Google Tag
1: Manager is is definitely not a mainstream analytics (laughs) product. It's kind of on the super techie, nerdy end of what we do. Um, And so to know that um, I was able to be part of bringing education to Google Tag Manager at scale is, I mean, it's incredibly fulfilling and um, you know, I feel honored to have had that opportunity to teach that course.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it was great, and I highly recommend it, and I'll definitely put this on the show notes for this episode, which is going to be com slash zero zero nine. Now, as analytics advocate for the most widespread analytics platform in the world, you have a position that's sort of like a CIA correspondent. <laughs> I feel like you must get just lobbed with questions that you can't answer, So what are some of the most common questions and how do you navigate around answering them in a way that serves your audience, but obviously doesn't get you killed?
1: Totally. So, um, you know, a few of the questions that come to mind that I I really can't answer or that we don't want to spend a lot of time or energy focusing on, um, you know, happen to be things like what's on your product roadmap, like (laughs) tell us about what's coming next. And, you know, as much as I want to tell everybody what's coming next, you have to be fairly political about that and say things like, oh, you know, um, we've got some really exciting things on the horizon, definitely pay attention, we're looking to solve pain points in in these types of areas, Um, so stay tuned, Uh, which, you know, sometimes people are a little bummed about that answer, but, you know, it's as much as I really can tell at the time. Um, other things, uh, I don't know if you remember the whole referral spam thing that was going around, um, in the recent past. Still uh, going, I think. Still going a bit, yeah. Um, I think people have started to find their own solutions for it, but, um, constantly being, uh, asked about, you know, what it is, why we're not doing more about it, how we're solving it, um, it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure uh, on a business when this isn't a problem that we have ourselves created, but we are trying to work in the best interests of our users and are definitely looking to um, help out here. but uh, you know until we have a solution it's it's not something that we can stand up and you know really talk about so. Um, it's those kind of questions that, that are tough, but you have to be political in your
0: answers a little bit. <laughs> I think it's hard because I think when you think of a company like Google with all of the resources and manpower, you think that there's probably just 10 people dedicated to just that one problem and releasing things, uh, improvements, and that's just not the case, you know. Yeah, those 10 people
1: also have day jobs. <laughs> They're working exactly. on that at night
0: and in the wee hours of the morning trying to solve <laughs> that
1: new issue that's popped up.
0: Right, right. So um, you delivered an amazing talk at the Loves Data Conference Day, which is yeah. big area of growth for me, which is testing. And I love how you're making testing seem approachable and how to make it approachable for your team. So do you have any advice for... Presenting test results that you get and if they're good and the bad and the ugly.
1: Yeah, definitely so, um, I think that presentation starts with uh, With really being transparent about what you're doing Um, so before I even go into a presentation, I make sure that everybody in the organization already has access to um, the test plans and knows what it was that we tested and how we went about it and what was on the roadmap and how it got prioritized so that when I go into these meetings, it's not a surprise that we've, that we've gone and tested mm-hmm. um, what we've tested uh, and it's really just reviewing the results and you know, sometimes those results are fantastic and people get really excited. And sometimes they're not as stellar, but you can still find words of wisdom from from these test results. So, um, you know, for instance, uh, if you you ran a CTA test and you didn't find um, a winner that was better than what you had, maybe the takeaway is, hey, the CTA that you have right now is probably pretty good for the audience that's coming to your website at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and oh, we also learned that, um, you know, X, Y, Z occurred or people who were interested in the CTA may have also been interested in these products. So there's Mm -hmm. always new insights that you can glean from test results. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of digging in the data to, to find more. Um, I actually though am a big advocate of, um, what I like to call a failure report. Mm, okay. So um, I uh, very much like to, just as, just as much as I like to broadcast how well a test has gone, mm-hmm. um, when I've had a few failures, if you, if you would call them that in a row, which I, I wouldn't necessarily, mm-hmm. um, I like to kind of wrap those up in a report as well and show our organizations um, you know, what it is that we learn from those because you can learn something from every test.
0: Yeah, there's one of my favorite entrepreneur Instagram quotes that I've seen flying around is, uh, what do you call a failed entrepreneur experienced? Mm-hmm. And I would say that's the same exact thing here is you can't possibly learn and grow unless you've made a few mistakes here and there. Totally. That's great. So talking about growing as a presenter, you know, what would you say is the area you're working on the most right now for yourself? So, um there are there is a couple areas that I'm working on.
1: Um, one is uh, making my content more relatable, mm-hmm. um, and I think early on, even even that very first presentation when I spoke twice as fast as I should have, um, one of the other points of feedback that I got was that I just didn't have a lot of personal stories or connections to what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And over time, I added more and more personal stories to the point now where pretty much every point that I make is wrapped up in a personal story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that not only makes it um, more relatable for people, but I think it also makes it more tangible and more memorable when they can relate a point to a story. And actually, Jim Stern was talking about that earlier today, um, is that when you have a story that people can latch on to, uh, you know, that meaning, and you, you've also mentioned this in your slides as well, adding adding a picture onto mm-hmm. on a point. So similarly, adding a story onto a point uh, really helps drive it home. So that's one thing that I'm constantly working on is as I come up with new content and new presentations is how I tie that to my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other thing I'm working on is just really being, comfortable on stage on camera so before we um, recorded the GTM course um, I uh, actually started to do some improv classes nice <laughs> yeah it was it was definitely stepping out of my comfort zone um, I kid you not the first improv lesson that I took the uh, the two instructors had me crying um, <laughs> over the word cucumber. <laughs> Had to. It was this exercise where they had a random word generated. It happened to be cucumber, and I had to talk oh, about God. it in a positive way, in a negative way, and kept going on and on until I literally just broke down, crying out of frustration and embarrassment, and I just I couldn't go on. And I have this whole thing recorded on film, so I get to go back and watch it whenever I'd like. <laughs> and you're going to send me that afterwards, and
0: then I'm going to m- maybe tweet it. Thank you. <laughs> mm, maybe. Maybe. And, you know, that's interesting because that's sort of the opposite of what you talked about, about living in your content and knowing what's coming. But um, at the last eMetric San Francisco, I duked it out with Jim Stern and Tim Wilson and Gene Kane. In PowerPoint karaoke, we had heard about this happening on the West Coast, and it was absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. Just, I had no idea what was coming, but at the same time, Jim Stern came up afterwards and said, like, that was one of the most personable exchanges that you have, because feedback I've gotten is sometimes it's a little too TED-like and mechanical and not so approachable so exactly that I think is probably the biggest takeaway that I've had from the
1: improv training that I've done mm-hmm. is that it just really helps me to be on my toes and react um you know as soon as something new comes up you know you you miss a you miss an important bullet point that you, <laughs> <laughs> you meant to cover um for all of our love of bullet points mm. um And, you know, don't let that fluster you, move on, come up with something else on the spot, Um, just be in the moment.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, during the conference, I happened to overhear, because I was eavesdropping on your interview, um, you are studying a special technique for prepping for public speaking. Would you please share what that is?
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it actually comes out of this improv training as well. Uh, And that is that I am an aspiring beatboxer. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, um, turns out that beatboxing is actually a really great way to warm up your register when you are going on to, to speak. So, um, so, if you want, I can give you a short oh, example. Oh, you will be giving us a demo, yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, basically, you have to practice two words, and that's boots and cuts, like I'm going to cut you. Oh. <laughs> Okay. I'm not gonna actually cut. Here. <laughs> so um, and then you break it down into the into the various sounds. So boots is kind of that lower register, but it also has that s at the end. So you mm-hmm. got
0: boots, boots, boots,
1: and then cuts is cuts. It gets the back of the throat mm-hmm. opened up. So it's cuts, cuts. And then you pull it all together and it's but what? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Little Jersey Shore coming out. <laughs> um, and so you can start to make up your own, uh, you know, your own tunes there. I'm, I'm still working on the whole, like, getting my beat down. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is a really good way to warm up, and it's fun, and it makes me smile. And I think that's probably
0: even more of a takeaway is that it puts me in a good mood mm-hmm. for when I go on stage relaxation, whatever you need to do. And um, Krista will be making her new demo CD available. <laughs> the EP is coming out next November. <laughs> we'll come up with a witty name for it later. Um, so you've seen a lot of presentations, I'm sure, having been to so many conferences. What are some of your biggest pet peeves about the presentations you see? Um, you know,
1: I... Like you and and like many of our colleagues in the industry, um, really busy slides are always overwhelming, and mm-hmm. I think they make me lose the story right away. Um, and you know, pie charts we have we share a fond love <laughs> for hating them. <laughs> no love and hate; it's just hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I actually say I actually think that the um, the number one thing that has bothered me in presentations is kind of what I've been working on so much is really that personal touch. Mm. Um, When somebody gets up and it just sounds very, very dry and like they have memorized a speech, I personally struggle to pay attention and to listen to it and internalize their message. Um, But I think that's a, a good takeaway from that for me is that I just really need to continue to work on that even more.
0: I totally agree. One of the first blog posts I wrote was about five ways to lose your audience really fast, and it was based on a presentation I had seen at a conference where I had never seen someone so disconnected from the audience and forgetting why. Why am I actually doing this? You know, <laughs> I, I like to think we're creating experiences for people. That's why they're paying the money to be there. And um, it, unfortunately, I overheard someone describe it as the worst presentation they'd ever seen, oh. and. I would agree. The one thing, if you can do one thing, it's be personal and relate to your audience like that. So, you know, you are also a huge inspiration for women in this industry. And, you know, you recently wrote a wonderful blog post that I loved about an interesting question you received during a speaking panel. So can you just briefly share that story? Sure. Um, so that was an interesting
1: experience. Uh, I was in Amsterdam speaking at a user conference there. And they would asked us to um, do a 45, I was keynoting, and it was a 45-minute keynote followed by 15 minutes of Q&A. And they had an app for Q&A where people could submit their questions and then upvote and downvote them. And then those that were most up, upvoted were asked by the moderator. And so I gave the presentation. It went really well. The first couple questions that came in were, um, you know, they were right on topic, asking, you know, further clarifications about what I had talked about or product questions, um, everything that was in my wheelhouse. And then this one question kept getting upvoted and upvoted. And um, unfortunately, it was, are you married? Oh. Yeah. Um, and the moderator asked it. Uh and it you know, it really threw me off and I was just I got kinda of flustered and I was like, Okay, let's move on. Um and after the the moderator and, and a few people in the audience attributed it to bad Dutch humor. Mm. Um but you know, I just feel like that was a really unfortunate question in the situation. Uh and the blog post that I wrote was really about how um, you know, I'm a woman in tech and I'm proud of that and you know, I'm uh it's definitely benefited me to be a woman in the industry that is fairly male-dominated because mm-hmm. it does help you stand out. Um, but I don't want to be known as a strong woman in my field. I want to be known as a strong speaker or, you know, somebody who's very skilled in what I do, mm-hmm. not because I'm a woman and I do that. And I've actually gotten invited to speak at conferences before um, with literally in the email it saying, hey, we need a strong female speaker. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so I think my key takeaways from that are are that I just hope that the industry can evolve past that to a point where gender isn't really part of the consideration. Um, It's, you know, who is the, uh, you know, leading expert on data visualization these days? (laughs) Of course, that's Leah Pika. Oh, goodness. Um, And who's who's the... you know, the godfather of analytics. Well, that's right. Jim Stern. Yeah, and, you know, um, you're known for your accomplishments and, and not for your gender.
0: So would you have any advice for fellow women practitioners for standing out in this industry that's not about being a woman and standing out?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's just really focus on being excellent at, at what you're doing and don't be afraid to stand up and to stand out in, in the industry. Um, Go go to conferences. Try to speak. Get in in on the speaking circuit, or um, you know, in with uh, you know the fun crowd of, of <laughs> analytics professionals, um, or you know, any tech professional or any profession. Um, don't just don't be afraid to go into those situations because you might be outnumbered um, gender wise. I think that's the biggest thing that holds us back today, mm-hmm. and that um, you know we need. As women, we need to get over We need to not be afraid to walk into a room and, and stand up and be skilled in what we do just because of
0: our gender. Couldn't agree more as a fellow presenting woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, thank you for sharing that very personal story. I really appreciate that. Of course. So... I call the next segment the upgrade, and it's a power tip usually for presentation tools or Excel, but you have a particular tool that you know somewhat well that I think people would love to know what your big power tip would be for communicating data.
1: Oh, so you want me to tell people about how I really know Telegram Messenger really well? Yeah. (laughs) Um so I think you're probably talking about Google Analytics. Oh right, yes, that that would be it. <laughs> um yeah, so actually one of my favorite reports in Google Analytics um there's actually two of them now because there's a premium specific one. Um but the standard version is funnel visualizations mm-hmm. and in in the premium version it's custom funnels. Um But I think that funnel visualizations um, and visualizing your data in a funnel is one of the most effective ways to communicate to your senior stakeholders. It's, It's something that's very easy for people to understand. It's visual. You can see how many people enter the top stage of your funnel, and it's it's wide, and maybe that's a marketing campaign sending people to your website or people going into the first step of a checkout flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can see each step along the way how many people are dropping off, and if there's a big drop off, that's cause for concern and it's alarm, and that's something that all the way up the chain to senior stakeholders, they're going to be able to comprehend and understand um, and internalize. And so for for those reasons, I think that funnel visualizations are probably my favorite report um, and and useful visualization within Google Analytics.
0: Nice. OK, awesome. Well, this is my last question, and I want you to think very hard here. Imagine this scenario, you're scuba diving off the coast of Borneo when suddenly a current pulls you through a rip in time and you're brought back to the precise moment you're about to give your first presentation. (laughs) Could (laughs) happen. (laughs) What would today you say to then you? Um,
1: You know, I, to a lot of the points that I I made earlier, I would probably first and foremost tell myself to slow down. (laughs) um they're going to understand what I say even if I talk slowly they'll probably understand it better um and to to just you know try to make it personal um those are the two biggest takeaways that I've had from that very first presentation um that I still carry with me today uh and so if if future me could tell past me that that's definitely something I
0: would like to hear well, that's awesome, and unfortunately, we've run out of time, but Krista, I've had so much fun with you today, and I think everyone listening would is loving getting to know you a little bit better, so uh, why don't you tell them where they can keep up with you and anything new or exciting they can look out for?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm at um, I'm on Twitter, at Krista Seiden, Uh and I also have a blog. It's bloggerchica.com. Mm-hmm. Um, soon I'm gonna redirect that from Christociting.com, <laughs> which I also own. But uh, today it's still blogger, Um and I'm also on Google Plus. If if you're there, at Plus Christociting.
0: Okay, and all of Krista's details are going to be on the show notes page again. That's LeaPika.com/slash-zero-zero-nine. Thank you again so much. I loved spending the whole week with you and. Let's do this again. Maybe something a little less exotic or closer to home. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's definitely been fun hanging out in Australia. What a fun way to see a different side of someone so well-respected in the field I think Krista had so many valuable things to say and is such a source of inspiration for me and so many others. And hopefully the ambient noise and the interruptions weren't too bad. So thanks for sticking it out. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show. If you like what you've heard, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe and please leave a rating and review if you like it. Ratings and reviews are so appreciated because they boost the rankings of the show. And again, I'll be reading out my favorite ones on future episodes. To catch all of the resources we mentioned on this episode, visit Leapeka.com slash 009 to review the show notes, download a copy, view the transcript, all other sorts of fun things. And I would love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when you're presenting your data and anything you'd like me to talk about here. Or you can tweet me a question for the show by including my Twitter handle, which is at Lea and including the hashtag PBM, as in present beyond measure. And if you're located in New York, Seattle, or Atlanta, you can catch me at my next data visualization with Excel and PowerPoint workshop with the Digital Analytics Association. You can learn more about the workshop at com slash DAA workshop. And that link will also be on the show notes page. And today's presentation inspiration is from Henry David Thoreau, but I think this quote is really fitting for this episode, and that is, they may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Find the common ground between you and your audience, create your relatable story, and you'll turn them into raving fans. Namaste. Sure.
1: Um... on and on. Don't keep a sense of sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, water break. it's <clears throat> good.